Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. And we are very excited to be here with Aya Denion, who has been on Storymakers Show before and who teaches creative writing at UC Berkeley. Kensington Book publishes her feminist heist novels, including most recently Side Chick Nation in 2019, which I'm really excited to talk about, and which was the first published novel about Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. In 2021, Kensington will publish A Spy in the Struggle about FBI infiltration of a contemporary African-American political organization. Aya's work has also appeared in Essence, Writer's Digest, Bitch Magazine, Vice, The Toast, Mother Magazine, The Root, and, Def and on Deaf Poetry. Aya is at work on a thriller about the climate crisis, as well as a plus-size Black Latina spy girl series for teens called Going Dark. She is an alumna of Cave, of Cave Canem. Cave, right? That's not Cave Canem. And Bona. Visit her online at ayadeleon.com and on Twitter at at Aya De Leon or on Facebook or Instagram at Aya De Leon writes and do and follow her because she's fun and smart and very and if you're just listening those will be in the show notes <laughs> yes <laughs> you don't have to pull over your car and jot it down yes. so we actually a number of people have told us things they do while listening to our podcast so it's kind of <laughs> some people edit photo uh, photographs some people a lot of people clean a lot of people are cleaning their houses <laughs> I'll just say, too, that I will put Cave Conum in the show notes because even though I don't know how to say it, it's an amazing organization. So, yeah. All right. So. Aya. What um, are you working on? Yeah. Before we jump in with Aya, which is what we really want to talk about, uh, I am um, still editing my opening, but I think I, I did it. Like, I, I made the changes and I'm piecing it together. And, um, yeah. So, I, I think it works. I suddenly started thinking... That so I've done all this tweaking to get her motivation really strong, um, to to make her her and it to have it not be split into kind of opposing directions, which is very true to life for me. But <laughs> make what's hard for her as a character. Uh, but you, as as our eighth grader goes on the visit of the fifth high school, yeah. she would like to consider. <laughs> <laughs> I like to consider all my options, but um, any there's just a lot of different yeah. public in our area <laughs> but in any case um then i started worrying that this you know about the arc so there's always something mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah but it's fun i mean this this part is really fun too so how about you and what are you working on well i am still working on idea generation and um i have some questions for people who write heist fiction because <laughs> I have I have this one idea that won't go away, and I keep trying to kick it to the curb, but it won't go. So I have some specific heist-related questions <laughs> for a heist author. So. And Aya, what are you working on? Oh, well, one of the things that I'm working on right now, um, perhaps you have heard of, <laughs> um, Actually, full disclosure, so Elizabeth and Angie and I are involved in this, developing this blog um, called The Daily Dose, Feminist Writers for the Green New Deal. And Ooh. yes, so I, you know, I feel like 2020, climate, climate, climate. Yep, this is it. Um, this is this year. What we yes, have to do this, this year. This is the year. <laughs> We've got, so top on the to-do list for 2020 is... 
um, regime change in the U.S. and addressing the the climate crisis with the Green New Deal. So I've been writing a bunch of pieces about climate. I also have to say I've been writing some pieces about American dirt. Um, and yeah, Wait, that's do been you the main have a thing. grandmother from Puerto Rico? I have a grandmother from Puerto Rico, and I have not chosen to write about people from Mexico fleeing drug cartel violence. I've actually kind of chosen to do some research in my own backyard. So yeah. that's what that's what I've been doing. So less fiction lately, more kind of organizing um, political stuff, but still have a lot of fiction that I worked on when I was off from teaching in December. I kind of worked on two different books. And you did NaNoWriMo. Yes, I did NaNoWriMo on a new book, which is about climate. And <laughs> I'm still under contract to do one more book for Kensington uh, and uh, did an outline for that book that uh, while it's not about climate, there's a, there's, there's some hurricane business. So was, oh, you know, you know yeah. everything's about climate. Yes. Right. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, will, <laughs> I can find a climate angle in anything these days. It's like a, it's like a, a superpower. Nice. Plus, yes. it is kind of you know global. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is everywhere. Yeah. Climate. Yes. Yeah. To take a queer slogan and expand it. <laughs> um, Great. That's super exciting. Yes, this is kind of our our first announcement of Daily Dose. Deal. Yeah. Done. Well, yeah, because I think one of the things that's really critical in a climate emergency, right, is that instead of just freaking out and panicking and being certain that all is lost, because there's a lot of that out there, that this is actually an opportunity for us to um, step up, um, step up our activism, but also our optimism. And um, we really wanted a place where uh, folks could come and hear feminist perspectives in favor of the Green New Deal. And also, you know, the Green New Deal is so important to me because it's about a climate solution, like a really, we have a really big crisis and this is sort of the first really big solution. I mean, there's another big solution that people have been using, which is like ignore and deny. And that's yes. been, they've been doing that I think, big. I think solution <laughs> in that context <laughs> might not be the exact <laughs> word we're looking you know, it's, for. Right. It's, You're it's, right. You know, that's a good point. The approach that yes. people have been using has been ignore and deny. And mm -hmm. well, I'm not really, I'm not really in favor of that. I think it's time for something else. Well, it's, it's interesting <laughs> in terms of like craft structure, right? Story structure, because there is often that act one period of, of ignore and deny, mm -hmm. you know, that, but, but then if you're going to have a, a real story and a real character and who's, you know, and I actually think likability, you know, which is bantered around a lot, especially mm -hmm. in women's work, um, is really about taking action. Mm -hmm. And, and so what, one of the things like Angie talks about a lot is, you know, okay, when a character makes a decision, then they make a plan, right? If you're really mm -hmm. going to do something, you make a plan. Right. And then you take an action yeah. <laughs> because how many of us have planned to do so many wonderful things and never so done them? Yeah. No so that's right. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah. And I yeah. Think so, Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so yeah, that's a good, thank you. Well, that's a good point. So I think it's time for us in the hero's journey to move out of the refusal of the call yes. into the next piece. Yeah, we've been in the refusal of the call for a long, for a long time. time. Like, a lot we, of... like the pace has to change here. Yes. We well, need I... a change in pacing. We need some editing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I just want to say that one of the things, 
you know, the, the the language New Deal, right, is specifically harkening back to a time when, you know, we as a country were also facing a major crisis around so much poverty, so much unemployment, so much craziness happening. And it wasn't just that the New Deal was a way to get people back to work, although that's what it was sort of framed as. But if you think about all the amazing art we still have from that investment that our government made into muralists and you know architecture and there was so much beauty that came out of that so when we talk about this turn it's not just about what could be around climate but what if we are able to kind of launch a, a, a renaissance of that's right art and, and beauty in the world yeah art beauty culture um and caring for our people yeah it's really exciting the opportunity here yeah so um i want to circle back because you you know we sort of brushed by american dirt and but more importantly you know you you are both writing from um you know from kind of identities that you own and occupy <laughs> and also you're doing this incredible inclusive work you know that the sort of what is a feminist heist going to include and, mm -hmm. and including like queer characters that are fabulous which i love and so so it isn't just about you know am i a hundred percent standing here um through my own identity but also maybe other things like what what sort of can you talk a little bit about your goals of inclusion? I don't know if that's even the language you want to use, but around, you know, diversity, blah, 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 with your books and how that might differ from somebody sort of parachuting in, um, yeah, from, from outside. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, one of the things for me as sort of a multiracial or multi-ethnic person, right, I'm African-American, Latina, and Afro-Caribbean, and yet I was raised in California, kind of like not in the heart of any of those communities or identities. So for me, on the one hand, I feel very comfortable at this point in my life, writing characters and all those identities. But, you know, I still check them by people. I still have friends or even, you know, consultants that I pay to be like, did I get it right? Because I'm Puerto Rican, but I am not a New Yorican. Like I did not grow up in New York. And so different pieces of the slang or the culture, like I run them by people because I just feel like that's the basics of respect. You know, when you know that you're not an insider, you want to have that inside flavor. And I, you know, I feel honored because a lot of people will say, oh, when did you live in New York? And I'll be like, never. And they're like, oh my God, you got, you know, oh, you got the New York stuff. And, you know, I mean, New York is a place that you can just show up and spend some time in. And it's not the same as sort of like a marginalized community, which is a more intimate identity that you wouldn't know and really kind of understand to be able to write from unless you really knew or unless you got somebody to check it out for you. Um, so that's the thing for me. Um, in my own identities, I still get help. And certainly in identities that I'm not in, I get help. So um, like writing about the sex work community. So my my heist series takes place in this community of sex workers. And, you know, there's sex workers that I have connections with and, you know, friends, but that doesn't mean that they know, you know, what was happening in New York in the nineties or that they know about, you know, the sex industries are very wide and varied and 
you know, if somebody did escort work, that doesn't mean that they understand what happens in strip clubs. And if somebody, you know, is doing, um, is, is doing, is working in strip clubs, it doesn't mean they understand what happens when people are being pimped and trafficked. So, you know, I've had to really kind of reach out to people in different parts of the industry to understand, like, you know, did I, did I get this? Does this sound reasonable? And have had, activists and consultants tell me like, yeah, this is fine. And like, no, this is wrong. And even early on had an activist be like, this whole spine to your plot is a stereotype and you need to get rid of it. And I was like, sure. And then was like, ah, I have no plot now. Yeah. But of course, what we figured out to come up with instead was better. Well, right. You know? in a way, that's the whole basic thing of writing. So, so, so this is not new to writing, you know, nor to the world that, you know, you, you get feedback and very often some part just doesn't work and you have to make it work better. That whole process is just mm-hmm. part of being a writer. And so to add to that, this understanding that for some people, is new if the, if you've had you know the privilege of feeling like you owned everybody's story and everybody's language, you know this is new information, but it's not actually new to the process of writing. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's I was, you know, I'm in this school a lot, and there's a lot of conversation about growth mindset, and yes. no matter what you're doing, like. The thing that strikes me is having that place of enough, both confidence and humility. Like you need both to be able to say, you know what? I can hear that. I don't need to hyper defend myself. I can hear that. And I have confidence in my ability to grow from this, not just like, oh, I messed up. So like with kids, oftentimes they'll sort of shut down around getting feedback. And I think it's important that, you know, people really focus on, you know, I will always have a place to grow, <laughs> right? And so, and I can, and what an exciting opportunity to do that as well. So whether it's your, the spine of your entire story. <laughs> and that just happens sometimes. I know. Sometimes it's much more, you know, banal. It's like, oh, this is not that interesting. So, okay. <laughs> you, you were writing a different book when you... When you decided to write Psychic Nation. Yes. Are you circling back to that different book? Eventually I will. So I was writing what was going to be the fourth and final Justice Hustlers book, um, which was going to have a protagonist who is Lily, who we've met in a couple of the other books. I love Lily. She's like a Trinidadian immigrant, stripper organizer, you know, she was undocumented and managed to get some documents nobody really knows from where but now she's she got she hustled her way in she is um yeah I just love her anyway I was looking forward to writing a book about her and had kind of started that process when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico and it took me a minute to pivot like at first I was like I need to write a collection of essays I need to write this I need to write that I don't know what I need to write I need to write something and then I was like wait a minute the biggest platform you have is this book that you're under contract for. And because it was, um, it's a genre series, they buy the books in pairs. So there'll be the book that I wrote that they buy plus a second book in the series that hasn't been identified yet. So it was time for me to write the unidentified book. So it hadn't been written, but it had been sold. 
And so I just, I asked my editor, can I write about the hurricane? And she said, yeah, sure. And so then it became this wild, um, this wild process of figuring out how to set something in a series that I hadn't laid any groundwork Mm. for, right? The other, I had been carefully laying the groundwork so that Lily's book would make sense next. And we knew Lily's sister and we knew a lot of Lily's business. We met her mother. We, you know, had learned a lot about her so that people cared about her and were invested. And then we could kind of easily pivot to her book. So I had to find somebody who already existed in this community of, of women that I'd written to like, go somehow get stuck in a hurricane in Puerto Rico and have <laughs> and have an adventure that was going to change her forever and fall in love, right? And I was like, I can't send Lily to Puerto Rico. She doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> like I can't like that would just be a stupid book, right? Like it would just I mean get a million dollar advance. Right, exactly. Just... What was I <laughs> really what was I thinking? I pitched it to certain people. Um, no. So I, yeah, it just, it didn't make any sense. And I wasn't sure what to do. I also had this short story that I had written a few years ago about, um, Marisol, who had been my protagonist when the, when I first started writing the first book in the series, Uptown Thief was in 2008 and the debt crisis in Puerto Rico was not on my radar. And by the time I published the book in 2016, Puerto Rico was deep in the debt crisis. And I thought, you know, I couldn't, it was too late to figure out how to get it into the book. Mm. Um, So I, but I was like, you know, I want to write something about the debt crisis. And so I wrote a short story and never knew what to do with it. And it sat around. So the, when Sidechick Nation happened, I absorbed that short story into it. About her family. Yes. About Marisol. (laughs) going and doing this heist for her family. So, you know, it's a heist series. So previously there had been like big central heists in the book, but because this book was about the hurricane, really the central um, suspense narrative was organized around the hurricane, but I wanted heists. So I had, I I brought in that heist where Marisol um, sort of, you know, has to defend her family's land against these sort of, you know, vultures and of the debt crisis. And then I had a sort of a second heist uh, in New York when you have some of these same shady characters um, make, you know, kind of not quite illegal, but doing some fraudulent stuff with Hurricane. um, You know, yeah, people, you know, will have these disaster, will do this disaster fundraising and then make shady use of the relief funds. So mm. I wanted that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here comes my heist question. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> Probably not that exciting. But, um, you know, when, so you talk about laying out and, and outlining and um, I have an incredibly low stakes heist that I'm writing. And... Uh, how do you deal with it's great it's about public education it is it's a public education heist heist. (laughs) um how do you fund your school it is it's basically one pta knocking over another but anyway i love it (laughs) um but like you know you have these situations how do you do research for that 
Um, well, I'll say a couple of things. First of all, I actually have an educational heist story coming out this oh. summer in the in the Berkeley Noir Akashic series. They actually, it was funny. They, they you know, somebody asked me like, Berkeley Noir is happening. I we write for it. I was like, I don't really write short stories. But then at the time, I was doing all this education stuff, and so I was like, man, getting into Berkeley schools, it's like. You know, a CIA background check. So I have someone like heisting the yeah. into the school. There you go. Right? It's, a, it's, so, a yeah. it's a new genre. Yes, educational, gonna... the educational heist. I love it. We'll do a second anthology with lots of them. Um, I mean, so I actually don't think that's low stakes. I mean, I think you can kind of create the mood. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, part of the whole thing for Uptown Thief comes from all the years that I worked in nonprofits and we'd be like working on a grant proposal. And at some point, you know, somebody would be like, God, wouldn't it just be simpler to rob a bank? Like the <laughs> amount of work that you have to do to get funds legitimately for, you know, in the public or for nonprofits. So, I mean, I think that the thing about the heist, what makes it interesting is like the plotting mm -hmm. that, that, that it always has to be a plot and usually with multiple people who have to like coordinate. Right. And I love the idea of a PTA. I will totally read that. You know, <laughs> I will read that. I love that. You know, and, and the idea that you have to like heists usually have, you know, there's some technical part, right. Of something that you got to do, whether it's like we're hacking or we're safe cracking or we're, you know, we're getting the person's phone and we're putting this, you know, so there's usually some technical piece. And then there's like the getting whatever it is you're getting and getting it, right? Whether it's um, digital or cash. Um, but then there's usually the con, right? Like somebody usually has to con somebody to get access, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's physical access or access to their device. So I feel like those are the pieces. And, you know, just thinking about like a PTA heisting another PTA, which is also really exciting because you know, they're just issues of equity. I mean, I think heist is often about one group of people who either have ill-gotten gain or, you know, have an unfair share of something mm -hmm. and other people being like, we're going to, we're going to level this out a little bit. Right. And yeah. so with the PTAs, that's very exciting. And, you know, thinking about equity and education, right? And, you know, wealth redistribution. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's very exciting. Yeah. I want to say, I love, I love yeah. that you, um, that you bring all these issues into mm. fiction, because what I've noticed, I've, I've been tracking for the last few years, like all the books that I read, especially as, you know, you can, the library tracks, I mean, it's all there being tracked anyway. Everything's <laughs> data driven now. But, um, and I read just so, so, so much more fiction than nonfiction. And I have all this, I now have a pile of nonfiction books by my bed that I need to read to like get myself up, you know, up to speed. But I, I just am reading fiction instead. So mm. I think I would rather be educated through story. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to read like, I want to read your novel on the Green New Deal instead <laughs> of, you know, somebody's track. I know, right? So how can I, how can I get a heist story around the Green New Deal? I mean, it's really interesting. The, the piece that, I mean, the book that I'm working on now that's a climate book, you know, is also sort of romantic suspense and, you know, it has to do with, class. This is the first time I'm writing about white characters. I mean, not that I don't have any white characters, but this is the first time I'm writing a white protagonist. Um, and I'm, and it's because I wanted to, I, I wanted to isolate the issue of class, 
right? Because now I'm writing about race and class and, you know, sometimes gender and sexuality intersectionally, but I really want to sort of isolate class with this female character. And we're looking at that and, you know, there's a major climate angle. So that's interesting too. And yeah, I need a, I need a Green New Deal novel. <laughs> I'm going to get that together. Honestly, <laughs> like having, having, you know, the things that we sit around and wonder about, we've had two major fires here, right? Very close to each other. And they're rebuilding again. Yeah. Right? Okay, so in those same fire, spaces. The and you're like, they're like, there is a fire starting on Burned Mountain Road. <laughs> That's the name of the road, dude. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> <huh>. <laughs> Couldn't see that one coming. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's terrible and nobody, nobody deserves anything, you know, but I just, but there are little hints about. But what... when you think about <laughs> climate and class and, you know, what. You know, people are making money off of this destruction. And even PG&E, when you look at the fact that they did not do the work they needed to do for the infrastructure, that's that's one whole piece. Developers are a whole piece. And, you know, I grew up up here and the river always floods and there's always families that, you know, that are getting, you know, their house washed away and whatever. And we keep rebuilding. We just keep rebuilding. And And you're sort of like okay like what's the plan there you know (laughs) like that's not a long-term solution yeah well i i mean i think that that has been the plan like that's capitalism's plan is you know like um planned obsolescence right Mm -hmm. so it's like the best way to get a new house for you is to burn or wash away the old one and there's so much money Mm -hmm. to be made you know yeah exactly generational thing (laughs) Yeah. And so, and so there really, I mean, there hasn't been a disincentivizing in this kind of structure um, because it's individual and private. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, then you own that little tract of land and maybe your insurance will cover something or maybe it won't, or maybe you'll get, you know, this kind of disaster funds or maybe you won't, but it's like, it's not, no one's actually thinking big picture. Mm -hmm. Right. So Um, You know, I've been reading stuff where people talk about, like, at what point do you buy out people and say it's not going to happen there? Right. You got to move. But, you know, we're definitely not there yet because the system is still rewarding, you know, Mm -hmm. it's still set up to reward all this reconstruction in areas that, you know, consistently flood and will only be flooding more. Right. And, you know, may only be burning more. And, you know, there, but there's so much there, you know, in terms of here in Northern California with PG&E, you know, it, it is truly about corruption. And what does it mean when you have um, a supposedly public utility company that is um, beholden to its shareholders and not its people? You know, and and for example, people have been talking for a really long time about like these lines need to be put underground, right? Mm. And if the priority was human safety, they would have been put underground. But no, the priority is the shareholders' profits, you know, and that's why these things should never be for profit. It's so dangerous. Like how many people need to die and how much land needs to be destroyed before they're like, wow, the priority Mm. is to put these underground. But guess what has the kind of scope to do that? The Green New Deal. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. All right. So we don't have a whole lot of time with you. And speaking of time, one of the things I really want to touch on is 
how prolific you are and you are working, you know, you're, you're a professor at UC Berkeley and running a program there. You have a kid and a partner and uh, you are also doing a lot of activist work in the schools. And I mean, you're just, you know, you have, it's not like you are just sitting around twiddling your thumbs thinking, well, I'll write five books or whatever. <laughs> so can you talk to our listeners about, and us. Like time management? <laughs> about time management, about motivation, about productivity. Yeah. I can. Uh, well, you know, I want to say a couple of things shifting around a little bit here, but I do want to say a couple of things. So one thing that I want to say is that I, I mean, I really love writing. Like that's been a critical thing for me. And when I talk to moms, um, you know, who'll say, you know, now that I'm home, you know, now that I'm not on my job and I'm home with the kid, I just know I really want to write. And that's awesome. And it's really hard as a mom to find the time. Like before I had a kid, I thought, oh, I don't have time. Now I'm like, oh, I had so much time, <laughs> you know, or I, I mean, you know, it's, it's just different. Um, and so one of the things that's been really critical for me is getting to the point where it's fun, right? So when my daughter was like a baby, she would fall asleep on my chest. I have pictures of me writing with the baby asleep on me, right? Because it was like, this is the thing that I can run to for the next 45 minutes and do that will bring me joy. <laughs> and so I, I, that's been a piece of it, like getting, getting to the place where it's joyful, because if it was hard, like it used to be hard, writing at first was so hard, like the idea that I would <laughs> carve out time to do something that was hard that I didn't have to do, because there's so much you have to do when you're like a working parent. So, um, so that's the first thing really like it's super joyful. Um, and then the other thing we were, we were talking about this, uh, sort of before we started recording, I got a treadmill desk, which is amazing. So then I'm like incentivized cause it's like, wow, the more time I spend writing on here, like I'm getting twice as much done. <laughs> yeah, you're multitasking. <laughs> oh my God. It's like the ultimate multitasking. I love that. So that's been great. But even before I had the treadmill desk. I really um, am just such a big fan of NaNoWriMo, you know, mm. that I, the idea that you get to just in a short period of time, crank out a whole bunch of really bad writing that you can then spend a bunch of time turning into good writing. That's been mm -hmm. great for me. And just, I'm a late breaking novelist. Like, you know, I didn't publish my novel in my twenties, you know, like I was definitely in my forties. So, um, I really, you know, in some ways I feel like I'm making up for lost time, but it's also like, this is my, this is the fun thing. I love my family. I love my students. I love teaching, but this is like the fun thing. That's just for me. And I was writing about this the other day and part of it has to do with constraint, you know, that like, as a parent, okay, this is what I have to do. This is the time I have to go pick you up. This is the, this is, these are the three foods you're willing to eat right now. <laughs> you know, there's just all this constraint, man. And then there's, you know, and the same thing with teaching. I'm teaching this course. This is, you know, this is what I need to do. Whereas with the writing, what do I want to write about? Apparently I want to write about sex workers in New York City who steal money from unscrupulous rich people. Okay. 
Sure. Who doesn't want to write or read that, right? (laughs) And like that, that I get to totally decide that if I had wanted to write about the three foods my daughter wants to eat, I could have written about that too. Or that sounds like a diet book. (laughs) God, I am not writing that book. But I, you know, and the same thing with the essays and stuff that I write, like the, you know, the stuff I'm working on about American dirt, you know. Um, and about the climate crisis, it's like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm writing. It just, for me as a mom, having developed that relationship with my voice where I feel like this is what I'm thinking and now I'm getting the words out and then I'm getting it out in the world, whether it's like, you know, a published book or, you know, it's online or on my blog, or even like I'm running my mouth on Twitter. It's like, Oh, these are the things in my mind. And now, bam, they're out in the world. It just feels very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yes. I love it. Um, I didn't even really get to say, but I just want to, because we're, we're at the end of our, we're, it's time for Steal This. But I just want to say that I, I love this book. I love your series. Mm-hmm. I love this book. I, it's also mm-hmm. a book you can start, like they can start the series with book four. Absolutely. And get hungry and go totally. back for the rest. Absolutely. Or whatever. Start with book one. Whatever yes. works for you. But, sure. um, but it's great. It's, it's mm-hmm. really great. And as we were talking about it, I was, you know, remembering, I mean, the, the, the water seeping into the storage place where she's sleeping and then how Don't she, give it all away. That's the opening. And no, then how she escapes, it's, it's <laughs> okay. a flash forward thing. And then, you know, but all the, I mean, there's just, there's, oh, and that's what I wanted to, there, anyway, there's just so much like action and suspense plus emotion and character growth. I just, I love that. You mean the structure. I also, a lot of commentary about the uh, erotic, <laughs> the compelling erotic components and fitting some climate change conversation into an erotic moment as well, being yeah, oh, very that, skillful. Yeah. That was so, really funny. Yeah. It was Naomi Klein. It was a Naomi Klein book where yes. she like, keeps her finger in her place through the entire sex act in the book. I, mean, I know. Book, yeah. I, well, and I have to say, I had to work really... Okay, so that... One of the things about a romance, right, and writing these romance series. So so it's a series and it's like heist, but it's also romance. And, you know, the romances are, you know, pretty consistently heterosexual, but I have queer and trans characters that are super important. And there's this queer female couple and they are the moral compass of love and relationship of the series. And they're really important to me as holding that down in this heterosexual series. But, you know, with romance, you build up all this drama. So then people finally kind of get down and then everybody's like, phew, yes, finally. But then you have a couple that have been together book after book after book. And so it's been interesting and important to me to think about ways to keep their sex life interesting, you know, as people have to figure out when they're together for a long period of time, how do we keep this interesting? So that was really funny uh, for me in terms of figuring out with this book, like what's going to happen in this book, you know, between the two of them. Cause I, you know, I'm not going to write a book with only straight sex scenes like boo. That's just, not, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's fine that there's, I just want a little something for everybody. So I, yeah, it was really important to me to figure that out. And it was really fun when I figured that out. And the best part, was Naomi Klein read the book and she like, she read the book and she really liked it, but she didn't read all of it. And she sent me a great blurb. And then later I got a DM from her. She was like, oh my God, I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, that, that, yeah, that makes you want to read Naomi Klein's book more than anything 
any review. Oh my god, <laughs> that is the nonfiction book that should be on your uh, nightstand as well. <laughs> on fire, her book is incredible. Even if you just read the first chapter and the last chapter, because it's a collection of her essays from over the years, but the opening and the closing chapter are really about this moment in history and the Green New Deal. Even if you just read those two parts, it's so worth it. Okay, here's here's a blog post for Daily Dose. Like, Ian's annotations. Like, or like the short, like, read, like, so, okay, so in, you know, Mary DeMocker's book, read this and this and this oh first. In, you know, right. in Naomi Klein's book, read the, this right. one and that one. Yes. All right. Okay, it is time for Steal This. Yes. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your readings and wanderings that you would like to take and make your own? Well, one that I'm really trying to take and make my own is the teen girl spy genre. Like there are, I've read a few of these teen girl spy books and I, I really love them because basically what they're all saying is that being a teenage female is like being a spy. <laughs> you have to you have to suddenly learn how to disguise yourself, you know, and like makeup and fashion. And that also you have to like, you know, being conditioned as a female, you have to get people to like you and trust you mm. and confide in you. Um, and you that can fit into different groups. Yes. <laughs> it's like you're a chameleon. You have to figure all this stuff out. And there's and and so I've read these books and they're all white girls, right? Who are mm -hmm. kind of being spies who are exploring that. And so for me, the thing that I really stole enthusiastically is, you know, this YA series that I'm working on of girls of color spying. Cause I really like, I read the books and I loved them and I loved what they were saying about kind of teenage female reality. And then was asking myself like, well, what would, what would the black girl version of this be? What mm -hmm. would the Latina version, the mixed version? So I've been thinking about that. So that's something I stole and um, hope will get out in the world one of these days. And this, and the, is, that the, is that the one that's coming out in 2021? No, okay. that's a spy novel I've been working on, but what feels like forever. That's um, a spy in the struggle. And that's, um, you know, a woman in her 20s. She's already finished law school. So she's a little older. And, you know, there's definitely stuff there about spying and figuring out where you fit in. But it's not like that straight up teenage girl drama, which is super fun. So that yeah. A Spy in the Struggle is the book coming out next year from Kensington. And then the one that uh, isn't, you know, finished and sold yet is Going Dark. Mm. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. And how about you? Uh, you want me to go next? Yeah. All right. So this is kind of <laughs> wacky, but so like Friday or something around somewhere on Friday, we're driving and... Um, we drive by like this big stand that's like 49ers and Angie's like, yeah, the football game is like, and she looks it up. It's Sunday. <laughs> that's how I found out about it. So then all my, maybe that was Thursday. Then on Friday, like in my exercise class, everybody's talking, are you having a party? Are you, mm. you know? And I'm like, and I actually had, had, I actually taught, we taught a writing retreat on Saturday that I had scheduled like complete with complete oblivion to the fact that it was Super Bowl weekend. So I like completely didn't care, you know, I didn't even know. And then, like, through the New York Times, they were doing, like, live coverage. So about in the last hour or something mm -hmm. of the game, I start, like, following through the New York Times. Because I just tend to, like, go on and see what are the headlines. And so it's, like, so it's, like, the Niners are ahead, like, some huge amount. And I'm, like, oh, look, guys. Well, and then, like, a little later, it's, like, oh, the lead is, like, close to, like, three. And then a little bit later it was, like, surpassed and, un right? Mm -hmm. and it was 
really exciting and disappointing <laughs> and it's like and succinct like if you had to sit through that whole thing you would but, just be like uh. but the part that i think about is just the narrative part like yeah and, and actually and then to, in my exercise class today somebody said you know they like around the middle they started really they started celebrating they started they took a big they posed for a picture yes and she said and i i, I call this narrative superstition but she said i knew i was like that's a bad idea you know it's mm. that pride cometh before a fall or whatever yes and um i just i so i think there's a lot to learn about narrative tension from sports sports it's ah. not like that different there's not that yeah. many things that so her happen. next novel is going to be <laughs> so I'm, I'm just gonna steal <laughs> narrative tension i'm not gonna yes. steal football yeah i would actually love to see you like write right, some kind of novel. like i'm gonna get a, a seven-figure advance for my football novel yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> So let me just get this straight. What you're stealing is tension. Narrative tension. Narrative tension. Yes. <laughs> well, what you can learn from the fact that there's like so few variables and yet like the so many people are care so much. And even I got hooked into care. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's, there's probably some stupid patriotism in there or something, but it's yeah. like, <laughs> but what is that? How does that get used in story? Right. And how can you and how can you replicate those conditions like people taking a ball back and forth? Like, what is it? How do you replicate that? You know, like I think about like, uh, you know, one way that you replicate that is like in a in some kind of story about like a custody battle. Right. Right. And like, who are you rooting for to win? Oh, no, it's going this way. No, it's going to go that way. Right. So, it's yeah. Just how you know what other kinds of stories have that same structure where you have like teams vying to get something to happen a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and in fact, it's kind of interesting because, you know, okay, the 49ers are our geographical team. Mm -hmm. So therefore, but it's like, there isn't obviously some other person is rooting for the other team. Right? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, okay. <laughs> I'm going to steal that too, because it actually reminds me of. You're going to steal it from me. You yes, I'm going to steal it from you. And that's what happens. Yeah. Somebody steals it and then they steal it from you. Yeah, just we were watching Sevens. So um, some friends invite me over and we watched Rugby That's Sevens. Awesome. And they just had um, a big tournament. And um, New Zealand Black Ferns are, like, dominant in the sport. They're just, like, they always win. But this was the first tournament on their, in New Zealand where they were in this position to win but they're dominant. Like, there's no underdog aspect at all to what's going on. And then the other team they were playing against, I think, has never been at that level. Wow. And it was so interesting because we, in the room, kept saying, well, who, well, you know, the Black Ferns always win. But, like, maybe we should support this other team. It's like, but they never get to play in front of their home crowd because of, like, sexism in New Zealand, right? And so, like, this whole, like, kind of back and forth, and they were both underdogs, essentially, right? Oh, interesting. Right? Yes, so, yes, yes. And it was so interesting to kind of watch. And in the end, we just wanted it to be a really good close game, and it was. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. it was Canada. It was Canada versus New Zealand. Oh. And so it was just interesting because Canada had never been at that level. So it was just like, and also I think some of the people on the Canadian team looked like people I dated in the 90s. But <laughs> Right. Uh, <laughs> so, but of course. Yeah. So anyway, um, but that's, so I'm stealing your sports analogy. Yeah, yes. See, sports does create incredible tension. We yeah. all know how to get invested right away. 
Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, you have your, all your handles are in your bio, which will be in mm-hmm. the show notes. Yes, yes. And um, anything else you want our listeners to know or do? Well, you know, the one other thing that I will shout out, we talked a lot to parents, is a book that you actually turned me on to, which is The Parent's Guide to Climate Revolution, mm-hmm. um, How to Create a Fossil-Free Future, Raise Resilient Kids, and Still Get a Good Night's Sleep. And I have to say that that book has been giving me life for the last few months. Just, um, yeah. And I encourage folks between that and um, Naomi Klein's On Fire, The Burning Case for the Green New Deal, I encourage folks to think of 2020 as the year of climate, climate, climate. And uh, and as story writers, that this was the year that we turned the corner and defeated you know, the big enemy and headed towards our happy ending. So that's what I'm, I'm visualizing for all of us in our story. Yes. I love that. Good outline. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so fun to hang out. 